everyone. Welcome to uh, the new new lookish kind of ale of a time. Uh, we're doing Monday nights now with uh, Dave and I, and to do the very first Monday, we've got a, a special guest, Matt Ives from Holgate. Matt, how are you going? Hi, everyone. Yeah, well, thank you. What's your job at Holgate? Um, the senior brewer. So I'm um, I'm part of our brewery team. We've got four brewers currently rotating through the shift and uh yeah i think senior just means i've been been around long enough to <laughs> haven't quite jumped ship yet but yeah i've been uh, with holgate for uh, a bit over five years yeah so, awesome um, yeah i've managed to track quite a lot of uh, change in that in that period obviously how did you get started as a brewer oh sorry before we go hey dave how are you going good mate hey, gentlemen i'm just getting stuck in to Matt's origin story. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we've, we'll been, we've been chit-chatting already. No yeah, yeah. You know what I'm doing. Let's just get, let's just dig in, eh? <laughs> um, well, actually, before we go too far as well, um, have you got a beer, Dave? I do. I've got the uh, the Hefeweitz uh, in the Bavarian series. Um, how many classic halves do you get released at the moment? I mean, outside of Oktoberfest, a couple might, but so I'm loving it. Yeah, that was um, I I got delivered those the other day and greedily gobbled them pretty much the pills the what was the other there was a bock dunkle uh, he- dunkle dunkle sorry um, oh, yeah yeah all really all really good uh, but I greedily greedily gobbled them and and now I don't have a whole gate beer so I'm drinking a um, <laughs> Hawker's Nick feels left out from the Carwin Collaborational now back to Matt have you got a beer Matt or are you are you not drinking. Uh, no, I do. I will somewhere in between. I've got a uh, I've got a love all handy, which is probably interfering with my backdrop. But um, yeah, I'll be drinking a alcohol free beer for a school night. Yeah, but um, it's not really a school night, is it? No, no. <laughs> um, I had one of those. I think I talked about it on the uh, on the chat on one of these shows. I had that at the park recently, and man, it went down just with good company and sunny sunny days. It, Really went well. Have you tried them yet, Dave? No, I haven't. Can't no. Formalities all done now. <laughs> Back on track. Sponsors to thank, or you skip that one. Thanks to the patrons. We don't do sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to associate their brands with this. <laughs> um, so, hey, how did you get started, uh, Holgate? Yeah. So, um, prior to moving back to Victoria, sort of. Uh, as I said, five and a half years ago, I was living up in in Water in New South Wales, and um, I was having a uh, I was living with my part my then partner who was studying. I was off doing all the real work, getting a real income while she while she mooched, and uh, that led to little social life. So I went and got another job on the side behind the bar at the Thirsty Crow Brewery up in Wagga, and. Uh, I don't know. I think um, having, I mean, the similar story, having home brewed in, in my shed, in my garage for years and years, um, being in, in amongst the brewery environment made me realize that these people actually do it for a job and it's viable, <laughs> not just, not just a dream and not just, uh, you know, a bridge too far. So once we came back down to Victoria, um, she went and got the real job and I went and had a bit of fun and haven't left yet. <laughs> Great. Um, can you give us a bit of a, an overview of Holgate? Because I think it's been around for just over 20 years. It was 20, yeah, 20 last 20 year. years last year was our big uh, big double decade celebration. So um, 
We're located up in Woodend, Victoria, sort of central Victoria, just sort of up the highway on the way up to Bendigo. It's, um, it's a Holgate family business. Paul and Tash started back in 1999. And um, much like me in my home brewing, they started off in their back shed um, back before they bought the pub, which I think was in 2002. They were just simply running um, brews into four or five uh, tanks in his in his purpose built back shed, lugging the car, lugging the kegs into the car and down to Melbourne, and it was all very hands on home deliveries and all that sort of stuff. So um, as the business grew, they needed a bigger space for brewing in, and they decided to invest in the the corner hotel down at um, on High Street and Woodend. Kill two birds with one stone. It kind of gave them a bit of a retail outlet as well as more space to grow the brewery into which is what you see behind me. Um, I felt very proud to get that uh, that fake screen behind me, so I feel like I should bring it up. So <laughs> when it was really good for the podcast, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, what the, they can't see. The listeners was, um, in the podcast can't see the, the amazing brewery background that he's, yeah, he's got. Exactly. When was so, it that the hotel uh, was bought? Sorry, Matt. Beg your pardon, mate. When was it the hotel was bought? Uh, I believe it was 2002. Yeah, right. Yeah, so they lasted a couple of years without um, without any extra space, but it didn't didn't last very long, obviously. And um, and yeah, just sort of strength to strength since then. It's um, been some sort of slow growth up until the last sort of three years, where there's been a rather rapid expansion. We've gone from being just the one. Um, it's actually the old beer garden of the of the old hotel is where we sort of closed it off and put the brewery into. That was our only real footprint for the for the whole business. We've now built a production shed on site as well, which um, coupled with a 50 heck brew house and um, some sort of high production packaging and some larger um, fermenting vessels and everything like that, just sort of grew the business and grew the capacity about you know four and a half five fold in the space of two or three years. So um, yeah, I guess in my in my five years at Holgate, I've kind of worked for two or three different businesses all under the one banner because we've kind of gone from that brew pub model, um, certainly stepped that up to, you know, we had pretty good distribution up into the eastern states. And then uh, we sort of perhaps uh, <laughs> ran out of space and ran out of production capabilities until where we are now, which is a pretty large scale production and it's a completely different kettle of fish in terms of the brewing operations and the day-to-day and kind of feels like I've progressed with the business because I kind of got on board just in time to catch the, the dark old days of manual labor and, and um, you know, five people in a, in a small room. So, so that's, how uh, much, that's, that's about it. How much input, um, like, did you have any input to any of the, the expansion? Like, were you able to get involved in any of that or was that kind of above your pay grade when it was happening? Oh, look, I think a lot of the, the capital expenditure was all sort of tied up in in terms of the project was already underway before I'd sort of started. So even though it was, you know, we first broke ground while I was there, it was already pretty well planned how big they were going to go and where, where they were going to position things. But some of the minor detail stuff I certainly had a bit of a hand in, um, perhaps selfishly because it meant, you know, if I can run some uh, some lengths of stainless steel pipe from one end of the building to the other, that's one less hose I've got to drag five, six, seven times a week. So there's a little bit of input here and there, but um, yeah, certainly the uh, the equipment we purchased and the the scale we went with that was all pretty well 
pretty well signed off on. Um, I did get to help knock down the sheds out the back, which was about as, as much construction as I've, I've been involved in, in my career. So that was good fun. <laughs> what did that involve a sledgehammer? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Through some 150-year-old red bricks, so I felt like a bit of a he-man. <laughs> Stupid old bricks, just going to tear them all down. Yeah. Um, and what about the day-to-day, uh, being a senior brewer? Um, do you, you know, have a hand in kind of recent development or is that, again, something that happens sort of beyond you? No, it's a very, uh, very inclusive sort of workspace. I've actually, uh, I wouldn't say it's a title, but I've been given the luxury of innovation brewer in amongst the squad. So um, I've had a hand in sort of coming up with a couple of the later product products that we've um, launched out into the market. And um, also heading up, I guess, the special release program, if we can call it that. Um, as much as we'd like to tell everybody that, you know, it's a nice, smooth, planned process, um, especially this year, 2020, with what's going on, the uh, releases kind of get all thrown up in the air and see where they fall <laughs> a few times a year as, you know, palettes change and market uh market preferences change. So there's a, there's a need for a bit of a um, collaborative effort from, you know, the brew squad as well as the marketing and, and the sales department there. So still, yeah, still definitely get a bit of a bit of a say in things. I, without harping on about it too early in the piece, the uh, Dunkel Lager that came in that Bavarian pack had my fingerprints on it because uh, something I've been pushing a little, a little multi beast for a little while. So I was quite proud of myself to, uh, to get that in the can. That was a uh, hit in our household. That one, that one went really quickly uh, between Emma and I. Um, oh, awesome. And you kind of, one of the things you mentioned, um, you know, being innovation brewing, um, but, you know, you've released that sort of trio of, of uh, old-fashioned styles, for lack of a better term. Um, and then there's been the re-release kind of of, of Hoppinator. Yeah. Um, which Dave and I were speaking about just before um, we, we started. And, that's decidedly old school, uh, almost old school Australian take on a West Coast IPA. Um, yeah, it's, so I guess your innovation is also kind of does it, you know I guess innovation for you guys does it include sort of looking back at those kind of styles? Yeah, I think uh, I think you've sort of uncovered the truth there. This sort of springtime has been a bit of a looking to the past to look towards the future a little bit. Um, definitely some classic styles rather than being too innovative and um, anything too uh, wild and wonderful, but that's not to say that there's nothing else up the sleeve, but um, the Hoppinator specifically, um, yeah, certainly got a bit of an update and a bit of a revamp for where we think a double IPA of that sort of ilk. So a bit more malt driven, um, certainly with a bit more bracing bitterness. Um, Does it still- where that would sort of sit these days as compared to if we were to, I guess, bring out the, uh, the old brew logs and, and brew it as is. Well, from memory, back in the day, it used to have Belgian candy sugar. Am I making that up? Do you know? Certainly before my time, if okay. it was involved. But there, were, there was a few, uh, yeah, there were a few um, unnecessary ingredients, perhaps. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to find a polite way to say it. but um, yeah, we I'm right in thinking that, that like, after it like, established itself as like a, pretty uh classic victorian uh ipa did it like change towards like a more traditional west coast ipa like i don't know maybe 
five, six years ago. Am I wrong in that? Oh, I think any changes while it was still a part of the ongoing range were only sort of minor tweaks. Yeah, right. Okay. It, we kept it quite um, quite rich and in my in my eyes quite sweet because we also sort of had that counterpoint with the annual uh, Millennium Falcon release. So that was always our... Also, um, road trip was also a pretty clean West Coast, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, true. But in terms of that higher alcohol, high octane IPA, we kind of felt that um, Hoppinator was a good point of difference because it did provide a slightly sweet caramel sort of base as compared to, say, the Falcon, which was... Uh, you know, bone dry and quite pale and letting the hops do all of the work. Um, but, yeah, certainly for 2020, we uh, we stripped out some of the roasty malts that just didn't belong <laughs> in a double IPA and um, simply upped the body and, and um, or kept the body where it is, I guess. And, uh, yeah, we, we introduced a couple of the, the hops that perhaps weren't as widely available back then just to give it a bit of, um, bit of that uh, fresher tropical sort of note. But... Still really anchored with the the big sea hops, you know the centennials, citrus, a lot of Chinook, and we even uh, we even brought some Columbus back into vogue. I'm not sure if we can say we brought it into vogue, but back into the brew house, which was kind of cool. Whatever the tweaks were, though, like it really hit that nostalgic flavor profile, though. Yeah, great. Yeah, I um, that's something. It's a style that I probably wouldn't or haven't up until recently ever wanted to drink again that you know chewy malty but intensely intense ipa um, yeah it's quite sweet but um i've had that one and i've had a couple others sort of similar and i mean it's this 10 percent one from hawkers is you know it's it's got the, it's got a fairly chewy kind of malt presence in there um and i've been really enjoying them it's kind of yeah. a fun a fun revisit yeah well uh, with, i think with, um i think i've got my hands on one of those Sorry, one of those Hawkers ones a little while back as well. One of the one of the party beers, and yeah, just sat right in that little that little spot where it's it's both multi chewy but still obviously quite dank and quite large. So yeah, if we can hit that mark, then that's what we're aiming for. It's an interesting counterpoint to just the the sort of incredible sweetness that's happening without bitterness in so many styles. So having that kind of hot bitterness kind of now is it's refreshing almost like oh yeah. this is nice the pendulum swinging back a little bit perhaps um speaking of we've got a question from the chat from sam uh he he's sort of wondering about uh beer drinkers going back to lagers was that something uh in the brew house is that something you guys are kind of looking at or, or you're seeing or, or look i think um i can only speak for myself i haven't got any market research behind me or any um sort of feedback from the sales squad but i certainly feel there's a lot more interest in uh the well-made lagers than you know even just a couple of years ago and uh my own personal preferences sort of follow that same trajectory of as i said i was quite happy to get the dunkel lager into into the can and um to release our what i think is a pretty pretty sharp uh german pilsner back into the world as well um i'm really enjoying just a, a clean clean finishing um i don't know just line and length sort of beer yeah it's um something that the the pilsner was, was certainly a, a one that i'd definitely revisit as well um of that pack would you you know would that ever come back into the the range of pilsner because you guys don't do you have a a draft lager or something like yeah, that yeah the draft lager is um it was effectively, uh, it kind of 
took over from the pills. They were sort of side by side for a little while there, but the draft lager is more in, in the Munich Hellers sort of style. So less of the bitterness and um, just more of that, um, oh, to say it again, line and length sort of easy, easy drinking lager style. So we thought that we felt the Pilsner was perhaps a little step too far to convert some of those people away from the main, the mainstream lagers into this world of, you know, craft beer. Um, they didn't uh, obviously last hand in hand for too long. They're quite similar styles, but uh, I think most of the brewers and some of the, some of the wood end regulars would much prefer to have them both in the range permanently. I, I just, the Pilsner's just, you can't get around proper German Pilsner malt and what it brings. And, uh, you know, there's, we're really happy with the, the pale malt we use in bulk for a lot of the recipes, but it's a good old rounder. It provides a lot of, a lot of body and a nice clean sort of presence, but there's something about getting that focus on a pale malt that uh, brings a lot of interest to a beer like a Pilsner. And I, um, I actually spent uh, three weeks traveling Europe um, 2019 and came back with a appreciation of just the different differences in lager from one town to another, let alone one country to another. And uh, as much as I like my hops and I like uh, the bigger, broader range of beer styles, I'm reaching for a, a clean, fizzy yellow beer pretty often these days. <laughs> um, tell me about the locals and what end, what are they what's kind of the the popular over the bar at the at the bar um yeah look as i said the pilsner's a, a pub favorite and um it's what keeps it sort of rotating through the brew house is needing the supply just for the tap room and the and the hotel bar alone so um it's never too far away for, for us it's just uh hasn't been in package for a few years now so the the pilsner's um for some of the more rusted on uh, Holgate fans that have been, you know, coming through the doors for years and years, uh, it'd be a, it'd be a crime to to pull it from the range completely. But still, far and above the pale ale is the our Macedon pale ale is the um, the the big seller. And for whatever reason, Woodend seems to have a little bit of that uh, European vibe about it as well. There's um, quite a large contingent of German and Austrian migrants sort of in the surrounding area. So any time there's a fresh wheat beer pouring through the taps, it's you can you can see all the glassware change from the pint shape to the chalk, and uh, all of a sudden there's wheat beer everywhere. Which is interesting because wheat, you know, everyone says how hard they are to to sell these days. Uh, I yeah. guess maybe in packaged more so than over a bar. Uh, but man, the Australian summer and, and wheat beer is just ideal. Yeah. Yeah, well, if I was um, if I was talking before about uh, being quite happy getting the the two lagers in the can, the wheat is sort of Paul's baby. He's always been a fan of of wheat since his uh, brewing days before the business. So um, we're actually joking about it just over the weekend, and it's only taken him twenty one or so years to finally get that into package to be able to take home with him. <laughs> and it's his own business, so um, I mean, there's always been a a bit of a stigma against wheat beers here in Australia, which I don't quite understand. Um, they can be really quite rewarding for the um, the style of beer in terms of flavour profile and and body and and um, and texture, and all the while still be nice and refreshing and perfect for the 
this is the warmer months for our climate, so it's a little bit strange that they're not more popular. I think it's, I mean, people say that, you know, we've talked about on the show about Saison as well, where um, Hefeweizen uh, or even wheat beer, people kind of, it sounds like something that you, I don't drink that. I drink lager. I drink, yeah. you know, whatever. So I'm not going to try it. Um, and like, I guess even my own purchasing decisions, I probably, as much as I say, I love them. It's rare that I would buy any. So sure, yeah. if people aren't buying them, if I'm not buying them, you know, if other people aren't buying them, then it is what it is, right? That's it. You're going to go um, where the market is. Yeah. Uh, now, the non-alcoholic beer you're drinking, um, can you, that's, somewhat new can you give us a bit of a, a rundown of what that is yeah absolutely it's um it's a little project that we actually good. Just did a sneaky background change Look yeah, at I, that. I love it i couldn't i couldn't get through that with a straight face i was waiting for you to say something um <laughs> we're gonna say something <laughs> so it's uh yeah it's something that um i mean there's been talk of alcohol-free and lower alcohol offerings being um, a growing segment and something that the craft market perhaps hasn't really captured as quickly as the the uh, large-scale facilities. So it's something that Paul's been sort of hinting at and pushing and I, I guess in a weird twist of fate, the first uh, COVID lockdown actually gave us a chance to put some proper product development into the alcohol-free beer. Um, so we ran, I think, three or four trial batches uh, during lockdown just to sort of test the theory for, for the one hand, but also just get the balance right and try and come up with a recipe that we were happy to, you know, add into the Holgate stable as opposed to thinking perhaps, you know, do we, is this a separate product, product a separate project altogether, or is there, is there some legs in this if it can, um, you know, carry the expectations of what we want to present to the world as, this is a Holgate beer. It just happens to be alcohol-free. What were you aiming for with the recipe? So we wanted um, we wanted a pale ale style, but we wanted it to obviously hold its own against pale ales that have the alcohol there. So we, we can't just simply scale down the current recipe or, or um, you know, a typical pale ale. So we've got a lot more, I guess, uh, biscuity caramel malts than you would expect for a modern Australian style pale ale. Um, and that just gives off, well, firstly, a lot of uh, unfermentable, a lot of dextrins and a lot of the, um, the body that the, the yeast just simply can't, can't nibble away at. But also just remind you that it um, doesn't need to be, for lack of a better word, watered down beer for it to be alcohol free. So um, yeah. And then obviously the counter, counter argument to that is balancing the hop um, aroma and flavor to something that's otherwise uh, quite malty. So um, yeah, the first few batches were more about, as I said, testing theory and um, just proving that the concept will work. And then subsequent, um, subsequent trials later on in the piece and then even the first uh, commercial example, we've, we've sort of started to think, okay, we're happy with this as a concept, happy with this as a product. Now let's finalise. Here's where the hops are going to sit, and here's where the the balance between one and the other is going to really going to really lie. So, in terms of it being a alcohol free product, it's um it's uh, still a fermented beverage. So we still you know get the yeast to do its work. It's just happening at such a level that it won't pass the five percent. So we're 
currently clocking in around 0.4% alcohol, meaning it's um, qualified as alcohol free. So it's not a, a fully fermented beer with the alcohol stripped out. So it's more of a, a trickery beer than a uh, ultra filtered beer. And if that's, I can I dumb it down, I was just thinking of all that. <laughs> well, I don't know much about alcohol free beers. I and mean, I understand there are you know, two or three um, techniques there. So you, you guys are doing the sort of fully fermented and uh, is that a slower process? Uh, quite the opposite. The way we're doing it's actually quite quick. So um, we're effectively, we're starting with a much weaker wort than uh, you would with a regular beer um, with a few adjustments made for, uh, you know, the downstream finished product um, and a very low attenuating yeast. So an old English style yeast that's, you know, typical for um, low alcohol and low ABV British styles. Um, it typically doesn't go near too much of the sugar anyway. And um, that sort of works in our favor. So we've managed to strike a balance between it not tasting too sweet and worthy because the, the yeast does actually interact with any of those available sugars, but keeping enough of the, of the body in the beer that it doesn't sort of fall away after the first few mouthfuls or the first, you know, glass or stubby or whatever it shall be. Uh, and how's it going? Are people buying it? Do you know? <laughs> Look, it's, uh, to be blunt it's, about it. <laughs> it's interesting. I um, I wouldn't say I had my reservations about the the category itself in terms of alcohol free, but I guess I wondered whether uh, whether it would be something that would join the range and become, you know, on, on a permanent rotation through our brew house, or if we'd. Uh, every so often have to turn to each other and go, now, how do we do that alcohol beer again? Because um, it's been six months, we haven't made one. And we're, we're three full-size batches through the brew house now. Um, so 350 heck batches. I'm not sure if that's, you know, in terms of operations of scale for a new product, that's pretty good for us yeah, for that's, like two yeah. or three months, however long it's been. But um, just anecdotally seeing it uh, through the, through the tap room go from, um, you know, a stack of a few cartons one day to there's nothing but bottles on the shelf left the next. It's actually been picked up by, you know, the local traffic and, and people coming seeking it out while it's new. So hopefully that can, that can kick on and we've found another part of the market that otherwise we weren't servicing. Does it share in flavour profile anything with um, the Macedon pale? Because just from your description and from what I recall of Macedon, it's, that sort of had that sort of, chewy biscuity malt with the um, kind of firm uh, hot profile. Sure. Are they sort of like in the same family? Look, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have said so. I think um, I was I very, uh, very poorly kept mine in the bottle. I would have shown you there's a, there's a much more uh, copper sort of tone to it. And um, I mean, obviously you eat and drink with your eyes, but that copperness sort of comes through and there's a, a more biscuity, um, and sort of like a subtle caramel to it that the Macedon, you know, certainly doesn't sort of pertain. Um, and uh, as well, the the hops are the hops are really there late to to provide some um, bit of a bouquet. And uh, at the moment, it's it's sort of presenting just as ubiquitous sort of hoppy bouquet. We're not targeting sort of this is very citrus driven or this is very tropical or, or, you know, very earthy and floral. We've sort of gone for a balance of hops that just provides something. It's a bit of an all rounder. And um, 
very reminiscent of uh, just pale ale beers rather than this is a light beer and it's a light lager. This is a little bit hoppy and then perhaps a bit more of the of the chewy malts than you'd find in our, our regular four and a half percent pale ale. But um, I guess at the end of the day, they're from the same stable. They use a lot of the same um, a lot of the same product and. I don't know. Our fingerprints are on both, so there'll be a little bit of a, a little bit of a Holgate signature to it. But certainly, if you're they're a little bit chalk and cheese in terms of how they present the mouth here. It's interesting because Dave, I, I would have agreed with you, but it's probably been it's been a while since I've actually had a, a massive sure. pale. For sure, yeah. Um, and your, your sort of description of that, I was like, oh, maybe I need to revisit that because, <laughs> um, yeah, so many beers. It's hard to you, you just kind of think you just assume the ones that you've always you know you've had years ago. They're still the same. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, they taste them the same too. Yeah. And yeah, as, yeah. Our palates are completely different than they were four well, years ago. Isn't that funny? That's what we were referring to before. With you know, a lot of people returning to the the realm of lagers to try and chase that um, that clarity and that clean finish. Um, you don't hear a lot of people extending their range into the the broader categories, the IPAs and the bigger beers and the darks and the sours. And then, you know, having a rest and having a bit of a vacation on pale ale because it's kind of a bit of a stepping stone into the next uh, the next big thing. So not a lot of people head back that way. And um, certainly there's some rewarding beers out there in the market, the, the flagship pale for a lot of breweries that you think, oh, God, why don't I drink more of this? But, yeah, uh, just sort of thinking of that, it almost feels like, yeah, lager and, and maybe kettle sour and kind of the lower ABV sours are kind of, filling that niche where pale ale probably sat for a lot of breweries. Yeah. And I guess probably purely for my anecdotal buying habits, you know, and I guess XPA and Australian Pacific ale or, or however you, you know, wherever you include them in it as well, kind of have muddied that category even further. Yeah. Um, DJ RX six. I always read that wrong. Apologies. Uh, it says love ale worked for him. As well, um, he just said Mornington Peninsula announced a no alcohol beer as well. Idea. I didn't hear about that. Interesting. Um, what about the uh, decision to put it in bottles over cans? Was that kind of talked about around the brewery? Uh, look, not so much with the brewing the brewery team, um, other than be prepared with you know bottles on site, <laughs> but. Um, Look, I think from, uh, you know, hallway conversations, I sort of got the feeling that it's targeted more at the um, the non-craft drinking crowd that maybe want to try it. And typically, for whatever reason, we, we find that um, our crossover beers all start in bottles and um, the cans that we have since moved to, that's things like our Road Trip IPA and our, our uh, Kettle Sour uh, Berry Blush Beer and... Um, and the XPA as well, they're all in cans. They're all a bit more in-depth craft, if that makes any sense, to that sort of next step away. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure if uh, it's certainly not a, a, a brewer's decision, but it's um, I'm sure there's some science behind it, behind the scenes. I was thinking about this today because uh, Modus have come out with Nort, which is their one, um, or it's kind of a spin-off brand from Modus, and that's also on bottles. And I'm kind of wondering if there's – it almost feels more like a beer if it's in a brown bottle. Yeah, sure, maybe. This is, um, yeah, it's just kind of a passing thought, but 
yeah it's interesting uh, but i you know i think sitting as i said sitting in the park when i had it um it felt more yeah it felt more berry out than, than i guess soft drinky which might kind of be an association some people might have uh with a can yeah hmm I'll, 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 maybe I'll explore that further in a, a different episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I've got a better answer for you. No, no. This is, now I'm just literally um, just thinking Your answer sounds pretty good, so if anyone brings it up, I'm going to steal that. That's, that's great. <laughs> yeah. This Dunkel is unreal, by the way. Oh, great. Right. Thank you. No, oh, that's fantastic. Talk us through it, Dave. Just perfectly balanced. It's got every. It just hits every marker that you'd uh, in, like you'd hope for when you buy a Dunkel in, in the store, um, and it's just lovely, smooth. Beautiful, uh, beautiful dunkle. I love it. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I've had some recently, like oh, so over the years, dunkles where some people end up maybe on the bit too sweet side and a bit too kind of one note. But I remember drinking that one, and it was really like there's there's a, a lot of layers in there. Um, it's not just making a dark, slightly sweet lager. Lager, yeah. So we're certainly uh, we're certainly very conscious in sort of in terms of recipe development. It's um, it's got to have the color first off. That's that's the first uh, thing you see with a dark lager. But it's got to have notes that almost go to chocolate without quite getting there. I think is how I took the experience from um, any of the you know the big steins of Dunkel I was having over in Germany. It was you know it's got this uh, this depth of sort of cocoa and and toasty toasty bread and stuff. But it doesn't quite get to chocolate. And it doesn't quite get to be sweet. It's still finishing really clean and and um, yeah, we're obviously. I'm very happy with it. If <laughs> I could have spent the whole podcast talking about that beer, but I don't think that's what your fans are after. Uh, but, um, all I'm know, hearing actually. from the two of you is that we need to put another batch through and have the cans going into the next season as well. The so first, first fridge that I go to at Carbon Cellars is always a lager fridge. So anything interesting there, I'd be picking up straight away. So I can't speak for everyone, but I would love it if that was the case. Excellent. That's going into the next um, NPD meeting for sure. Excellent. Um, so when, had you brewed this before? Like that, there's this recipe when you. No, look, this was, um, uh, this was effectively a chance for us to sort of not quite apologize, but just make sure our Oktoberfest um, supporting crowd didn't really miss out. Cause it's always a, a bit of a staple across the, the craft brewery scene for a lot of a lot of places, but being a regional centre, we usually get really good turnout for our Oktoberfest party. And um, obviously, with a bit of an unknown, a few months before September, October rolled around, and even then, I think we we're still certainly in lockdown between metro regional. It was just it made sense to just put them out into the market as have your Oktoberfest at home. Um, so kind of it kind of came simply to us to put pills and half into the pack. Um, their two beers have been on constant rotation, as I said, for the brew pub itself. And um, yeah, the Dunkel was just a chance to explore. You know, this is what Munich malt's all about. This is what this is what Matt's been banging on about since he got back from Europe. <laughs> Let's see if it holds up. And and uh, yeah, so we came up with um, came up with a pretty pretty classic, pretty um, Oh, what's the word for it? Pretty streamlined kind of recipe. Is nothing too. I mean, it doesn't need to be anything too fancy. It all comes down to the the presence of malt and, um, as you said, as you said, Dave, the balance there, just to make sure it's it's as drinkable as any other lager, despite the fact that it's it's dark and and rich and toasty and and um, yeah, a little bit of chocolate, but not quite. 
uh, DJ RXR6 has apologized to me for me getting his name wrong. Uh, he said, Daniel's fine. Sorry, Luke. Uh, that's, that's on me, Daniel. <laughs> um, and I should know while I'm, while I'm talking directly to you, uh, you need to update your address in the patron so you can get sent the delicious beer that's behind behind me. How good is it getting one-on-one conversation? With yeah, yeah. So I might edit that bit from the podcast. <laughs> um, but he's also asking um, any more wild red on the horizon. Um, and then just before you kind of go into that, I'm thinking back, Dave, I can't remember which year it was, but Holgate was our brewery to watch one year at our um, annual awards. Because of Wild Red, if I'm not much mistaken. Yeah, I think Wild Red and the Sour Brett, and it was kind of like, and I think that was kind of when the expansion started happening and we were like, Oh, you know, let's, let's keep an eye on, on what Holgate are up to because those are kind of interesting products. Um, so, yeah, any more out there? Uh, yeah, no, you'll be happy to know that there's there's still um, there's still plenty of, of stock still sitting in the barrels. Um, it's now a case of getting it out of the barrels and getting it out into the hands of uh, your like-minded selves. But um, it's something that during construction and commissioning of the new brewery was perhaps just a little bit of a bridge too far. So we took a couple of chances to do some small release into, into kegs. And um, we've had some of the, the wild beers pushing through the, the new tap room. Um, but uh, excitingly, we've got a few variations happening as well. So when the time does come to finally roll the barrels back in, there's um, certainly wild red to, to go through but we've also we've um sort of had a bit of a crossover in terms of uh wild red being a traditional belgian style sort of flanders red so barrel barrel aged and um barrel soured if i can use that term um you can. whereas the sour brett's more of a juxtaposition it's a all stainless steel beer um kettle soured and brett Brett fermented, but um, in a clean environment, not in the uh, in the let it run into the timber sort of style. So um, we've had a bit of a blending of those two worlds where we've barrel aged some of the sour Brett, just because we like to punish ourselves a little bit at Holgate Brewhouse, and um, and as well as that, we've also you know given a bit of variance with some some fruit additions and things like that. So there'll be quite a few interesting things coming out of the sour program. Uh, it's more a matter of of when when can we rather than when will we? Um, has COVID kind of changed the schedule in, in any way? You mentioned you know changes to obviously this stuff going to pack. What does that look like? I guess in terms of other beers. Oh look, COVID has had I guess sort of two or three kind of large impacts um, coming in stages. That like I said, that first lockdown was a really good chance for us to get a little bit of um, product development and some trialing and testing that we otherwise probably wouldn't have uh, been able to succeed with. Um, so when things started opening up again, it was, you know, time to get some beer back in the tanks and be ready for, be ready for trade only to get shut down again. And um, it's kind of led the business to, uh, I guess, change the balance a little bit. I'm not trying to speak out of school when I say this, but um we've sort of opened the doors to more of the contract work that we weren't necessarily doing before COVID hit. So it's a matter of, uh, we've got the, the capabilities to, you know, put out a lot of volume, but um, we were sort of bringing in a couple of players here and there in terms of the contract, contract brewing. 
Um, but yeah, with the second lockdown and summer at the other end of it, there was obviously a lot more interest in using our facility to contract contract work. And some of that's in, in partnership with the brands or some of it's simply, um, uh, what's the word for it? Sort of secret squirrel business. If I can, <laughs> if I can uh, discourage you from asking me who I'm not going to fast follow up. There's been, um, there's been a, a, a bit of a balance shift in terms of Holgate brands and, and contracts compared to what we we're doing this time, 12 months ago and even six months ago. Um, but look, it's kept us, kept us flying, kept us really busy. And, um, you can't ask for more than that coming into summer. We've got plenty of our own stock ready and roaring to go. We've also got full tanks for, uh, for our partners and our, and our uh, customers. So we'll take that coming out of the second lockdown. Um, what's the vibe? You, you said you're in Ballarat. Yeah. Um, what's the vibe outside of Melbourne and, and regional Victoria at the moment? Does it feel somewhat normal or does it feel like us Melbournians are kind of stiffing you over? Oh, I've got to be wary not to gloat too much here, don't I? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're kind of outside now and we're, yeah, we're all feel, we're in good moods. The first tastes of freedom that we experienced, you know, a little bit before you guys. But at the end of the day, it's still not life. Uh, as normal, I guess, is it? It's um, it's a different experience to go out and enjoy beers with your friends or enjoy beers with dinner and that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, certainly for, for myself here in Ballarat, there's there's a plethora of, of options to explore that kind of, that beer landscape. Um, looking over your, sorry, I'm going to talk visually again, so I'm going to help yeah, the yeah. podcast, but looking <laughs> over your shoulder, the the exciting news coming out of the dollar bill opening up their, their venue in the coming months. And um, uh, there's another venue that's just opened with its own brewery that uh, Peter Aldred, the professor of brewing at the university, yeah, yeah. gotten behind. So there's certainly heaps of things, you know, for Ballarat to go out and explore. It's just we can't really share it with Metro just yet. So it's I've not enjoyed, far off, though, I feel. I've always enjoyed going to Ballarat because there's a really good art scene there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Quite often go and check out the art gallery and there's the Biennale, I think it was, um, that we went up to spend the day and, man, it was incredible. It was just really, it's really good being in a, you know, in a, a regional town that's just doing a lot of interesting thing and it seemed yeah. to have a pride in the town as well. Absolutely. And something like that photo Biennale is very accessible. Like it's in every cafe and every bar and you don't have to go searching for it to sort of, you know, be involved and, and uh, that sort of stuff sort of creeping into the beer world as well. We've got a lot more sort of traction in terms of, um, you know, craft and independent beer into the, into the town and um, events, you know, not just, not just the one solitary festival. We've got events happening all throughout. So when we can have events. <laughs> Even outside of like events though, when we went up to organize the blend of our patron beer, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll give that a plug because there are some patrons that haven't updated their addresses as well. So that is a bespoke um, holding it up to the camera if you're listening at home. It didn't help anything. It's yeah, anyway. Uh, that's our patron blend that's going out. Uh, some deliveries around Melbourne. Um, as you hear this on the podcast, you would have hopefully got it. If you haven't updated your address, please, please do that. Sorry, Dave. No, just um, just going out with Fee and Ed just on a whim, just to a few places. It was like, Ballarat's cool like there's so yeah. many little places you can nip into and enjoy yourself it's like a lot happening there i liked it yeah i think and it's yeah. Um, certainly become home for an old ex-melbourne boy like myself i uh 
I often, I guess, get a little bit of envy in terms of just the the volume of, of beer venues and, and beer happenings in Melbourne. But I mean, you only got to look around and realize, as you say, Dave, it's, it's a smaller scale, but it's still here. So there's so much choice now that I'd almost rather just have a, a, a bit less choice. And, and <laughs> <laughs> we used to be across every single beer release that came out, like constantly. And that's just like, I don't know what's happening anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's got to be exhausting, doesn't it? Oh, we just gave up. We we love a crafty pie. We'll leave leave that to James. Crazy, yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's a question. Someone, uh, Daniel, was going to ask a question about um, contracting, but Sam Smalley uh, has said, "Is it true that the great Warrnambool golfer Mark Leishman's beer is brewed by you guys?" Yeah, if you can, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's one I'm happy to. Happy to talk about. I don't know um, anything about I. I Mark Leishman, I always thought was a uh, rugby commentator, so I have no idea what this is at all. Yeah, so he's a uh, he's a professional golfer who um, I think he first launched a beer brand over in in the US. Obviously, playing a lot of the PGA tournaments and things, and had a bit of a following over there. Um, decided to bring that that brand and that concept to Australia, and um, slightly different beer, I've been told, to what they're. Uh, you know, putting into the US market, but it's uh, yeah, Leishman Lager brewed under contract by Holgate Brewhouse knowingly. And um, yeah, I think uh, I think he's sort of onto something. If you can get the beer into the fridge of every other golf course in the country, then um, it'll certainly keep us busy, especially with the name of a pro on it. it would yeah, absolutely. Why, I reckon, but yeah, it's a it's a great little beer. It's a um, sort of mid-strength lager. So it's obviously for your 19th, 20 and 21st hole. And um, yeah, it's very enjoyable. Just oh, I, line and length again. Man of variety. I've got the one phrase to, to fall back on, but it's a line <laughs> and length beer. And um, yeah, certainly we're pretty happy to be involved. Um, it might be a little mini niche thing happening because I know Colonial have done their tailor made lager as well. So the yeah. whole golf, uh, the whole golf club beer could be uh, a burgeoning uh, boom. Just um, don't tell, don't tell the big boys that we're coming for. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was also wrong. Uh, Mark Leishman wasn't a rugby commentator. Just in case anyone's at home screaming it there. Uh, we didn't think he was to be quite okay. <laughs> there is a there is a New Zealand TV personality who is a commentator of things. Just doesn't look like he really commentated rugby. Anyway, this is well Mid-month beside the point. All right, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, Daniel, who's also in Ballarat, aren't you? Yeah, uh, is saying it's been interesting observing the growing range of craft beer in Ballarat, um, particularly takeaway beer in the in the bottle shops. So, um, yeah, it's I'm certainly looking forward to the dollar bill. Uh, project opening as you mentioned and um oh, yeah just it's, every every time i've been to ballarat i've always found something new yeah yeah it's great and um the uh the new microbrewery that's uh that's gone in small little system but a, a huge great big venue so um i think i think pete's got the balance just right there that he's uh or pete and his team i should say have um yeah, they've gone after the food and beverage game, but with a with a brewery in there to add that point of difference. So it's um it's going to be really exciting. Uh, I'm yet to have walked through the doors, but I'll I'll tell you all about it next week. I'm there this weekend, 
So, um, yeah, exciting times for the, for the region, not just Ballarat, but obviously there's other things happening in the, you know, stones throw in any direction from where we are. Uh, yeah, I do feel like um, Melbourne people just chatting anecdotally to, to friends. Everyone's just keen to get into regional Victoria and out of Melbourne for a start and just do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Up to Woodend would be the first trip, surely. But it's yeah. something access by public transport. It's simple. I mean, you take that drive if you if you by car. That like drive down the Avenue of Honor into Woodend is like beautiful, particularly during autumn. But like, and then it leads right up to with the Woodend Brewery. It's like a blessed trip. Yeah. The, as you said, the train. It's like what is it? Is it less oh, than an hour from Melbourne? Yeah, it's under under an hour under an hour trip. And it's pretty much door to door, like from the station to the the brewery. So, yeah, One maybe it will be be my first trip now. And uh, rooms upstairs for uh, you know those that really want to imbibe. So there's no reason not to, in my in my opinion. And I think I've I've towed the company line enough to keep. The I, I was going to say while you while you're plugging, what else what else do you have to plug? Uh, what else? Yeah. Um, oh, look, I think. Uh, I think, as I said to you before, we're, we're really excited to see, you know, the world opening up again and um, Holgate Beers going back out into the market. It's uh, not that we've been a shut business, but um, we're certainly looking to, to get back into the original flow of things and having the pubs open just means that we've got those relationships growing and building again. So coming into the next year, as I said, everything's a little bit up in the air, but um, over the next couple of weeks, we're really pinning down where the, where the seasonals are likely to land and, and where we're going to go in that sort of direction. Awesome. Uh, I reckon that's a good, good spot to wrap up. Dave, do you have any more questions? Quick the night. When's the uh, UXB coming back? Matt? UXB. All right, let me write that one down. That's the <laughs> oversized ESB. Am I, am I correct? Yeah. <laughs> We took that challenge on to the double decade last year with the the double sized ESB, um, similar sort of beer. Probably, you know, got to a slightly different. Um, end bigger, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. Bigger button. Was it bigger? The double ESB. Yeah, yeah, definitely a little bit bigger. Yeah. So um, yeah, six percent uh, multi English bitter. Sort of bucking the trend. It's sort of going, harking back on history. That's kind of what we've been doing lately. It's been working for us. So I don't know, Dave. You can put your uh, put your royalties on hold until uh, until you see it come up on social media. But who knows? I certainly I know Julian, one of our sales sales reps, will be thrilled to hear me talking about something <laughs> like a UXB um, to a couple of uh, podcasters and 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 beer representatives like yourselves. So. That'll get the that'll get the wheels turning. Just having Julian on board. <laughs> that's that's good to know. I mean, by default, we're pretty much not super jazzed about where a lot of the beer directions going, and and Dunkles and double ESBs are, are certainly certainly right up our alley. I think. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, um, I've, got, um, I've got an argument uh, ongoing with some of the brewers at work that there are over two hundred styles that us as a brewery haven't actually tackled yet. So. I mean, we can do another IPA or we can do another kettle soured um, pale, but uh, there's off there's you know over 200 others to explore and and uh, it's my and job. Only 140 of them hazy pale beers, so um, <laughs> massive scope. <laughs> what um, out of all the styles that you haven't made, what would you 
what would you love to, to see in the Holgate roster next year? Oh, okay. Um, how long have you got? Uh, I've got to pick one. So wow. I mean, you can throw out three or four. Let's barrel the camera and just say it directly to your team. So everyone. <laughs> All right. So Chris will Chris will be hearing this. So Dusseldorf was my favourite stop in Europe. Um, so a, a typical classic Altbier would be probably top of the tree. Um, it's pretty closely linked to that Dunkel that we we just released. So I don't see that happening twenty twenty one. But um, yeah, I think outside of that, probably something in the in the realm of a um, look, even a, a sweet stout, sweet in terms of um, you know high octane, um, perhaps some some lactose, but not necessarily pastry. Mm. That's uh, that's something I sort of, even though we have a six percent porter. Which is, you know, got a little bit of sweetness from the vanilla. I'm, I'm searching for that seven, eight percent extra stout, milk stout, if you will. Um, so that's sort of where I'm leaning. Even though we're coming into summer, I'm still, all I'm thinking about is the dark stuff. <laughs> um, and yeah, look, outside of that, perhaps uh, playing around with a few more, a few more spices and fruits in the brew house rather than, than further downstream. Um, final question coming from Sam. Uh, what else should people do when they stop up, uh, stop into what end? Oh, well, um, the whole, uh, Macedon Ranges region is just rife for exploring. So in terms of the Mount Macedon itself is, um, it's quite foreboding to look at it, you know, from the highway, it's just a, a big hill covered in trees. But once you get up there, there's actually quite a lot of exploring to be done and, um the camel's hump viewpoint is a must um looking out over the the plains and over hanging rock um but there's also all the other smaller towns within you know within a shot of of woodend so things like lionville romsey and even further afield things like um trentham and dalesford some of that sort of hepburn Springs sort of region it's all easily done in a day or a or a weekend trip and um Outside of the, the village town of Woodend itself with all its little quirks, there's certainly things to explore within a short short drive if you can uh, peel yourself away from the taproom. And shout out to, to Mount Macedon Gin. Um, make, make some lovely gin as well up from up that way with I think a lot of foraged ingredients from, from Mount Macedon. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, there's certainly um, certainly a big push for, for foraging and local support in terms of product and things like that, so... It's a great little spot. That's the kind of thing that I, I love to hear and know about foraged local stuff. Yeah. It's hard to get better than that. And um, are you able to give us a plug of where to find Holgate online? Uh, yeah. Look, we've got, uh, we've got our landing site, holgatebrewhouse.com. Um, also, you'll find us on the obvious channels, Facebook and Instagram, but we've recently launched a couple of, sort of uh, annexed website. So we've got the holgateshop.com. Actually drop the the, just holgateshop.com. Um, that's for your online purchases and, um, and yeah, bookings and things like that. But also there's a bit of a tourism uh, visitation sort of based website called the Holgate Experience that our marketing manager has been really, uh, really busy putting together. So that's just sort of as, as I was just doing then, highlighting the Macedon and, and Hepburn Springs and Dalesford regions and, and us as a business and us with our history and uh, 
you know, the reasons why we we are where we are out in the out in the sticks, so to speak. And I um, um I didn't anticipate you to have such a practiced answer just then. You... <laughs> no, no, that was uh you were you were like ready with those URLs and you corrected yourself and yeah, that was great. Well, it, was, it was either that or run the risk of removing my hat, which would just you know <laughs> that it, that it uh, there's I think there's a website on the back of the flat cap here that <laughs> I've got a COVID cut to still take care of, so I'm not I'm not willing to go that way. <laughs> um, normally everyone goes, oh, we've got uh, something dot net. Just uh, just Google it. <laughs> uh, probably so we're on Facebook and Twitter, but different names. So listen carefully. <laughs> like, oh God. No, I'd like to. I'd like to think we're streamlined in terms of our social media communications, and I'm just towing the line. But honestly, that was a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, where do people find you on the internet? Uh, Dave at alvatime.com. Send me an email. Come on, I dare you. <laughs> uh, you can get me Luke at alvatime.com. Uh, alvatime.com for everything. And uh, patrons, as I said, update your addresses. Um, we're having a renewed focus on the patrons so more stuff coming out but the first thing is is that amazing beer they're about to deliver the people um hypothetical institute for in your podcasting apps for conspiracy stuff uh we're going to be finding out why new zealand's a police state uh new zealand is, is apparently uh, being taken over by the new world order so uh tune in for updates on that um and yeah that's it Thanks, uh, thanks so much, Matt. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it no, thank you so much for having me on, guys. It's been great. Uh, and cheers, everyone, in the in the stream there on Beer Together. Um, if you're listening on the audio, uh, subscribe to Beer Together on YouTube, and uh, well, we've got some news shows. We've still got Have a Beer Guest of the Year with uh, Ian McNally and uh, Nick Capper on Thursday nights, and then Thursday Beer News, and then this every Monday night from now on, Dave. Is that true? Exactly right. Can't wait. Thanks, everyone. Wonderful. Thanks, guys.